It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joined by Michael Brauner behind the glass. Michael will be taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055, or you can go ahead and get to us in the app. We love to correspond in the app also. And it's great Thursday afternoon here in Mobile, Alabama, and plenty going on in the sports world as far as, of course, we had the NBA action last night, and we'll continue to have NBA action tonight. And, our show today, of course, we uh, have Trent Massey from Future Ones on with us, Lindsey Crosby, Brett McMurphy, and he has some interesting takes about college football. We'll speak with Brett McMurphy right around 4.30. And, of course, 5 to 6 o'clock, we have our Tide and Tiger report. Drew DeArmond will be talking Tide, and Jason Caldwell will be talking Tigers with us right around 5.30 and the last couple of weeks have been filled with high school spring football practice and games. I know Sarah Land has their spring game today along with Theodore. So if you're not doing anything right as the show ends, as you're rolling in listening to the prep spotlight, you can go ahead and go out to Theodore High School. They'll be playing the Jackson Aggies at Theodore. You can see the debut of Steve Mask at Theodore High School today and one of the things that we're going to be talking with the entire show is kind of where the college football rankings of the college coaches are. And CBS Sports had a very interesting article coming out on yesterday. Tom Fornelli wrote this article where he ranked the top 25 power five coaches and without question I, I really can't argue with where he went with the number one overall college coach and it's it's got to be the goat when you talking about the goat of college football that's none other I mean than Nick Saban Michael Brauner does it have to be Nick Saban it right does. now? It does have to be the goat when I, again there's a difference between the king and the goat and Nick Saban is the goat I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think that necessarily makes him the best coach in college football today. But, you know, it's like Tom Brady wasn't the best quarterback in the NFL last year. doesn't mean he's not the GOAT. I, I don't think your past accomplishments necessarily make you the best coach, coach in college football today. Like, I, we've argued this, not even really argued it, kind of agreed on it a lot over the past month or so. Like, Kirby Smart is on top of college football he right now. He is the now. king of college Kirby football. Kirby Smart's the best coach in college football right now. But it's not Nick like Saban is the best coach Kirby Smart is the back-to-back -back national champion. Can't take that away from Kirby Smart. Uh, Nick Saban didn't win a national championship. He did not. With a two-year starting generational quarterback, probably the best quarterback, not probably, the best quarterback he's ever had. So, 
Uh, it's it's hard to ar- it's hard to argue Saban over Kirby right now, but I understand why he's ranked there. It's, but it's not blasphemous anymore to call Kirby no, Smart the best no. coach in college a- football. You, you, you can't – after one national championship, you can say, okay, Kirby has arrived. But when you start to take it to the second national championship back-to-back years, that's when you're starting to etch yourself into the all-time college lore. And what he's been able to accomplish – Tom Farnelli has Kirby Smart in at number two. And I would say he would be number one had it not been for what he learned. He learned it from the GOAT in Nick Saban. That's why ultimately Nick Saban, to me, stays there at number one. For for now, uh, and he even puts it in, uh, in the description, like Kirby wins a third straight. Well... Can't even can't even make the argument for, for Nick Saban at that point. I think again, I mean, everyone knew who one and two were going to be, so you can debate, I guess, what order one and two should be. But it gets interesting after that. Still got Dabo sitting at number three. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know about that. I, I'm going to go with Dabo. Dabo, his resume speaks for itself, and what he's been able to accomplish. Now, if, if he doesn't have success this year, then I think that's when you have to say. Is Dabo still in the top five for entering the 2024 season? But entering the 2023 season is what Tom Fornelli based his top 25 Power Five coaches ranking. And, of course, Nick Saban won, Kirby Smart two, Dabo Sweeney still hanging in there and swinging at number three. Number four, Lincoln Riley. And Lincoln hard, Riley hard argue that. is right at Southern Cal and has produced a Heisman Trophy winner, and really, at his time at Oklahoma, having Heisman Trophy winners there, now going on to Southern Cal, you can see why a lot of quarterbacks want to play on the left coast and the west coast, and for Lincoln Riley and the Trojans, not to mention their historic tradition. And right in the top five, rightfully so, is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh has continued to knock on the door, knock on the door, and eventually playing for a national championship. I can see the Michigan Wolverines, especially with the way that their schedule is set up this year, to have an opportunity to play for a national championship. I don't think they're beating Ohio State three years in a row, so I'll I'll push back on that a little bit. I guess you can make the argument for Harbaugh in the top five. I mean, he's had no success from a postseason standpoint, so eh, I think he's a little bit high. I think Brian Kelly's a little bit low at six. I, I've argued that Brian Kelly's the third best coach in the country before, I, and I really do believe that. He's won everywhere he's gone and wins the SEC West in year one at uh, at LSU. And yes, he had no postseason success in Notre Dame. I think in today's college football game, it's impossible to have postseason success in Notre Dame, and I don't think that's as much the case at Michigan. Ryan Day, real low, sitting at eighth, and Harbaugh sitting at five. I understand Harbaugh beat him the last two years in a row, so you you honestly, you can get why. Harbaugh beat him probably with an inferior roster, because Michigan just doesn't recruit at the level of Ohio State. Luke Fickle at nine, former Cincinnati coach, now Wisconsin coach. Makes the Big Ten a little bit interesting if, if Fickle can have some success in year one. But I think Kyle Whittingham at Utah. A I lot love, of people I love Kyle Whittingham. Don't even when you say Kyle Whittingham, a lot of people are like, "Who? Where, where does he coach?" And I'm the a fact huge fan. Utah has won consecutive Pac-12 titles, and that's impressive. Not only did they win the Pac-12 title this year, 
I don't know if you watched that game. By the way, the second time they defeated USC because they beat them in the regular season as well. They just they humiliated USC in that game. And Josh Pate, he came on the other day and said he thinks Caleb Williams was, uh, had Caleb Williams because if you remember, he was kind of limping around in that Pac-12 championship game. He hurt his ankle or whatever it was early in that one. He said if Caleb Williams was healthy, he thinks they would have won. They would have put up more points, but Utah in that game absolutely physically dominated USC. USC could not make a tackle. It was like a JV team against a varsity team. It, it was, frankly, embarrassing for Lincoln Riley's defense. And I'm not going to put that on Lincoln Riley. I think that's kind of the cards he was dealt when he got to a bad USC roster, and he probably overachieved in year one, having Caleb Williams helped. But I obviously they have work to do in building up that defense. I, I love Kyle Whittingham. Those Utah teams are always tough. I love Cam Rising, their quarterback. Utah's going to be dangerous again this year. I, I think they can absolutely threaten USC again. I, you could make the argument they should be the favorite in the Pac-12. And Luke Fickle trying to resuscitate or revive the tradition of the Wisconsin Badgers program right at number nine. And you mentioned James Franklin Blech. at number 10. Blech. And James Franklin, it always Not boils down to the Nittany Lions playing Ohio State. And can they get past Ohio State in Michigan and finding a way to go 11-2 I just say that when you have Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, those are going to be exactly where that conference, the Big Ten, they're, they're big dogs. So one of those are going to take a loss for sure. I got a few egregious ones for you on this list in terms of guys that are ranked too low. Okay. I have three of them for you. Let's start with the most egregious one. 16. Josh Heupel at Tennessee. I mean, really? I understand he's only been there for two years, but the level that he's overachieved with, with eh, recruiting, I understand recruiting's part of college football. You bring in Nico Imaleva, they're, they're going to start to recruit at a much higher level. People are going to want to play in those offenses. I mean, it got Hendon Hooker drafted. It got Jalen Hyatt drafted, even though he's just a go-route merchant and won't be a very good player in the NFL, in my opinion. But that, being, that all being said, Josh Heupel, I mean, he's building – an offense that, well, Pete, say what you want about Pete Golding and, and Nick Saban in that game, but they, they couldn't, they were lost. Uh, I mean, it was embarrassing. But with Hypo only completing his second year, I think what you want to see out of Tennessee is consistency this year. This is, this is Tom Fornelli's CBS Power 25 entering this 23 season. So if you're only entering your third year, Hypo, he, he inherited a mess in Knoxville. He inherited a mess, and he did something in two years that Lane Kiffin has never done, who's ranked two spots ahead of him at 14. He beat Alabama. So I, I don't know. I, I think 16 is a little bit low. I think 17 is low for Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. They had a 7-6 record last year, tied for their lowest ever. But again, like it says in the article, it's just kind of a testament to the program they've built. They're never going to be terrible under Mike Gundy. He, he, he is that good of a coach. And then at 19, talk about another guy who's, uh, who's rebuilt a program that was just in complete shambles, Mike Norvell at Florida State. I, that, that team, I'll tell you what, that team's going to win the ACC this year. I mean, he is he is in the process of building Florida State back into. I'm not going to say a powerhouse, but I like their chances against LSU Week One this there's, year. There, but there's no reason Florida State should not yeah, be a powerhouse. You're right. You shouldn't. You you should not have. You shouldn't have Clemson and Florida State every single year in the ACC. 
There's no reason Florida State should have dropped off the college football map altogether. And to go through the number of coaches that they had, Coach Norvell, he's going to get the Seminole fans back excited without question and has done so. But it boils down to, again, Norvell comes in on this list at number 19, Right in behind Mark Stoops. You brought up Mark Stoops. I thought you were about to say who he's right in front of, which is probably the most poetic part of the entire list. You see who's at number 20? Uh, Yeah, Jimbo Fisher is is probably the highest paid coach on that list. Ten-year guaranteed $95 million contract, and he's number 20 on the list. I've made this statement before, and I'm going to make it again. Jimbo Fisher is... The biggest fraud in college football. For an offensive guru, he's had a top 10 passing offense like once. Like once. You know who his quarterback was? James Winston. Right. I. Th- he is He is not. He just. He's an offensive guru that doesn't have elite offenses. The guy has built his entire career off of a magical season with Jameis Winston, which it was magical, and that team is one of the best college football teams in this entire era. You could really put him up against 2020 Bama, against 2019 LSU, and, and it would be a great game. That team was spectacular, and, and Jimbo was a part of that. But, I mean, where where's it been since? And I understand that he's hasn't and probably never will have a, a quarterback at the level of Jameis Winston again. But man, like an offensive guru who can't, whose offenses just can't throw the ball. Well, well, what's shocking to me again, he comes in this list at number 20. And you look at all the coaches that don't have national championships that are ranked ahead of him Josh Heifel in front of him, Lane Kiffin in front of him, Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. In front of Jimbo Showing Fisher, Dave Clawson, some real love there. And, and I, that's that's just amazing to me, and that's why when you look at the top twenty-five, according to Tom Fornelli's article, the Power Five top twenty-five college football coaches entering the twenty-three season, he has PJ Fleck at Minnesota at twenty-four, like NC State Fleck. at twenty-five, and. Lance Leopold at Kansas getting the Jayhawks. It's another guy who's inherited a mess of a program and made them somewhat formidable. Like, I I think these are the guys that that should get more credit than the Jimbo Fishers of the world. I don't know. I don't think that's crazy. Mac Brown and the job that he's done at North Carolina coming back to that program a second time has been very impressive. Also, I didn't think he would be able to get them back on the winning track and the winning side of things at North Carolina, his second go-round. But he's found a way to go from the studio to continue to relate to the college football players. Yeah, that hire at the time really felt like it was going to just be a complete dumpster fire mess. So I'll take the loss on that because it really has worked out. North Carolina, they're not... Yeah, you know, they're not competing for playoff spots, but they're playing in ACC championship games. They're they're doing a good job. I mean, having a having a spectacular quarterback in Drake May helps, but you know, uh, Mac Brown has UNC. I would say above the level of a respectable program. They're they're solid. They're pesky. So so as a whole, on this list, you you would you would omit some of these names that are in the twenty five. I think Jimbo. I think Jimbo should be off the list entirely. Yeah, I, I, I would. So that's the one that you would omit from the list, Jimbo I would, Fisher. I would take Jimbo off a- and the And you would, you would upgrade some of the other coaches on the list. But would you flip-flop Kirby and Saban? Or would you 
keep in going into this 23 season with Georgia having back-to-back national championships, would you move Saban to two? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's it's a what have you done for me lately world. Okay. And Kirby's the back-to-back national champion. And by the way, just brought in the best quarterback in the country two days ago and Dylan Rayola. We'll see who ends up being better between him. By the way, him and Julian saying being the number one and number two quarterbacks in the country, it's going to be uh, phenomenal. Compare the two for the rest of their careers. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see who actually ends up being better between the two. I mean, recruiting rankings are recruiting so rankings. So Keen Kirby much. over Nick Saban yeah. Yeah. In, in Michael Bronner's poll, you would just flip-flop one, two. Yeah. And, and as far as Dabo being three, you would you would slide him down. I'd slide him down. I'd move Brian Kelly up. Into it, the top three? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would have Kyle. I right would have behind, Brian Kelly three. Right behind Nick Saban, you would put Brian Kelly at three. Yeah, I would. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I frankly would. I, I don't like the guy, but uh, man, I mean, y- you can't argue with results. No, I mean he I'm won here the SEC West. <laughs> he, he he's with his family for sure. He, he he's down, down there with his Cajun family, <laughs> and and he won the SEC West. So I I will. Give him kudos there. I still maybe in the top five, but not top. Let's three. see what he does this year because Jaden Daniels is back, and you know they should on paper compete for an SEC West title. I, I'd love to see them come into Bryant Denny and get smoked, but I don't know if they will. I, I think uh, I think they'll at least give Alabama a game. There's just so many unanswered questions. I mean, we got three months to to try to answer them before they actually do get answered. Well, I, I know that me personally, Saban is going to stay one. Kirby's going to stay two. Now, this time next year, Kirby makes history and gets his three-peat. I'll be willing to change my opinion on who is the best college football coach entering 2024 if Kirby has three national championships in a row. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey Labonte, along with Michael Bronner. You can go ahead and hit us up in the app. Who is the best college football coach or who's in your top five right now entering the 2023 season? The final drive will be right back. Hi, I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM 105.5. And if you go back all the way to that night against Chicago in the play-in, did you think then that something like this would be possible? Damn right. I did. Damn right we did. Um, and the best part about it is we still don't care what none of y'all think. Honestly speaking, um, we don't care if you pick us to win. We never have. We never will. Welcome back to the final drive. That's one Jimmy Butler having tremendous swag and confidence and playoff Jimmy has arrived and and I've been one of those doubters to where damn right he said he he said it I, I I've been mm. a doubter on the Miami Heat as an eight seed and and making the history that they've been making I felt that the Celtics in Game One at home would have home court advantage hold home court advantage and they would be fine and then all of a sudden in the third quarter you have a collapse to start the fourth quarter by the Boston Celtics. You dominate for three quarters, and then all of a sudden you just fall apart. Jimmy Butler, 35 points, and the Miami Heat, 16-31 to from the three-point line. That's that's fine, but Tatum answers with 30. But Jimmy Butler, man, he's just making a believer out of everyone. 
Can I uh can I change my prediction on this series? I, I'm still gonna go the Celtics winning it. I know you had Celtics and six. Celtics I and six. I foolishly put Celtics and five yesterday. If it's if it's allowed, and listeners in the app, you can tell me if it's not allowed. I understand, but I want to change the Heat and six. Man, Joe Missoula. This, talk about someone who is incompetent. And, and outmatched coaching why Eric Spolster, by the way, is probably one of the best coaches of this era and doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves. No, pro- pro- get probably because his most recent championship it w- was with LeBron in the big three uh, that you could probably chalk that up as the main reason why he doesn't get enough credit. But I mean, you're talking about a team that made the finals in the bubble, a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, a team that is in the Eastern Conference Finals as an eight seed that no one gave a shot this year. I and mean, Spolstra really just does not get enough credit. But, man, I mean, Miami had a 46-point third quarter last night. 46 in the third quarter. And guess how many timeouts the Celtics used? I, you know, they did I, not. I, I would say probably none because yeah. it's been a situation to where you've seen coaches in the NBA playoffs leave timeouts in their pocket for whatever reason. And when you leave those timeouts in your pocket, you're, you're sometimes hurting your team when you go on to a game of runs because basketball is a game of runs. You have to find a way to stop those runs. But you're outscored in the fourth quarter. Or rather, in the third quarter, forty-six to twenty-five. What what kind of adjustments are you making when you get outscored forty-six to twenty-five in the third quarter, coming out of halftime? That's what's real tough for me to understand. But the Miami Heat are, are just taking a total team approach to this game, to where all four out of their five starters score in double figures and. They have two off the bench that score in double figures. Boston just couldn't find a way to adjust. And you're going to have to adjust in this series or you'll find yourself. Bronny, you said you want to switch. Your, yeah. and, and that's off of one game? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why after one game do you want to go ahead and swap? You don't want to go ahead and, and, and see it through? No. No, I think Joe Missoula's out of his element here. It's uh – I, I just think he's outmatched and is going to be outcoached. And it feels like the perfect ending to this season for the Celtics to kind of flame out in the Eastern Conference Finals with a way more talented team just due to being outcoached. Again, 46 points in the third quarter for the Heat. No timeouts called for the Celtics. And then the Celtics go on a 7-0 run to start the fourth quarter. You know what Spolster does? 94 seconds in, he calls timeout. Gets things under control. <laughs> I, it's uh, <laughs> These coaches... I mean, Nate, Nate Oates would frustrate me this year, and it's kind of just the strategy they went with, just not calling timeout and letting your guys figure it out. A lot of coaches do that, and I don't really get it, but, like, a 46-point quarter, and you're not going to call a timeout to figure something that, out? That's what, beyond explosive what, what, when you look at What are we doing? And, and I'll, I'll play you this clip. This was from uh, between Game 1 and Game 2 of the Sixers series. Hold on. And that's Missoula. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes the statement. We made the right play every single time. You don't want to. Nobody wants to ask about all the adjustments we made from game one to game two. Like he's just, he's just an arrogant weirdo. Like no one wants to ask about the adjustments we made from game one to game two. No, like he wants to be patted on the back for doing his job. He, well, he's he gonna didn't, be patted on his back in game two. Bronner. He didn't do the job. He didn't do his job last night. So I hope you make some adjustments from game one to game two. And guess what? He's probably gonna ask for credit again. It's like, and I, he's gonna get it. The best way it can be explained is like no one applauds the electricity. 
when the lights are on. People complain when the lights are out. Do your job. Figure it out. Be a competent coach. Don't ask for credit after. I'm not. The lights are on in the building right now. I'm not clapping for the lights. Well, I, I will say If this. they go out, I'm going to be mad, though. He, he, there Do was your no job. problem with his coaching in the first half. There was problem with his coaching in the third quarter. And I think that's where the problem lies because they, they in three out of the four quarters, the Celtics win the scoreboard. And then they get blitzed in the third quarter. And someone in the app says the Heat will win it all. Well, if they play the way that they played on the road and Jimmy Butler continues to share the basketball the way he's shared the basketball, I, I, I mean, you can't argue with the fact that you have a, a 87-year-old Kevin Love on the floor that's you're not guarding in transition, and he continues to knock down the three ball. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's not good, and, and I really do like give me Eric Spolster over Joe Missoula. We'll see if the Celtics talent can uh, can carry it. It's carried him this far, but it certainly hasn't been Joe Missoula. So. There, there has been conspiracy theories about the NBA in regards to them wanting to extend games and and commercial and viewership but I agree when you have one of the elite players in the NBA he's not locked up defensively enough by Jimmy Butler or anybody else for the Miami Heat to where he does not take a single shot in the fourth quarter you're exactly right yak fishing that that was the next point I was going to make as far as how does Tatum not get a shot off now, it's one thing for we saw him struggle in game six yeah, he versus have, he Philly. He had a bad game last night. Right? He, he struggled in game six versus Philly and then took off in the fourth quarter and ultimately won that game on the road for Boston because he showed up in the fourth quarter. And then he had that 50-point performance in game seven for the Celtics. But for him in game one, not to take a single shot, that's – that's absolutely absurd. You see, he traveled. I was watching at the end. He yeah. traveled twice at the end. He had a brutal turnover. He sh he was struggling last night. They, I mean, they he'd had him in the torture chamber last night. Again, it's just Eric Spolster being a better coach than Joe Missoula, playing the matchup of Jason Tatum well. I just don't feel good about the Celtics right now. Well, we'll jump back to how Boston is going to do in the Lakers in a must-win game in high altitude in Denver. We'll have Trent Massey from Future Ones jumping on with us right after this break, and then we'll go right back talking about can LeBron James be the GOAT tonight and avoid going down two games to none in Denver. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner on a Thursday afternoon here in Mobile, Alabama. Everybody, Jennifer Hale here from the NFL on Fox, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. That drum cadence can only mean that we have Trent Massey from Future Ones joining us this afternoon. Trent, hope all is well, my brother. Yeah, man, doing good. How are you guys doing today? Man, absolutely too blessed to be stressed. And I tell you, Trent, it's that time of year to where spring practice 
is in full effect for a lot of football teams. A lot of teams are having their spring games and their jamborees this week and in the next week as well. And it's a great time to get prepared for seven on seven and the apparel that can be worn by the teams, the spirit packs, the coaches love to call them to where they can get swagged out by future ones from head to toe. Yeah, Corey, this is, uh, you know, from, from after that spring training time all the way through uh, the start of football, that's our that's our busy season, you know, with volleyball even coming around pretty soon. You got volleyball and football kicking off around the same time, and we uh, we stay swamped with both of those. So it's um, it's a good time to to call and get some orders in if you if you need some. Well, not only just having high school orders, it's not just high schools that you guys cater to. You guys do everything from Little League ball to Park League to Recreation ball to even company apparel and swag that you guys can make sure that the companies have company polos or T-shirts for whatever event. They may need screen printing shirts or just an abundance of shirts for a company picnic. You guys can handle that also. Absolutely. You know, we, we do a ton of uh, high school sports, obviously, and colleges. And, you know, we do a lot of park leagues. You know, a lot of our a lot of our park leagues around town are calling us now. Um, you know, every sport, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, we even do some cheer stuff for anybody needing cheer stuff for the parks. And, uh, yeah, of course, the, the business attire, we, we sell anything from Carhartt to Eddie Bauer, those fishing shirts, uh, just anything like that, full sublimation all the way down to, you know, screen print, embroidery, the whole deal. So we can we pretty much cover all the bases. Yeah, and that's the thing, even from the footwear, if you have a team or you have an organization to where you want them to be branded out with the schools or organization logos, you guys have footwear and shoes that you can provide with the team's mascot or logo on it also. Yeah, we, we have some really nice custom shoes, their colors, any, any design you want. Um, we have three different styles of, like, tennis shoes, trainers, and then also we have customizable football cleats now, which a lot of people are, are starting to order those. It's, uh, they're really, really sharp. Put your school logo on it. You know, that's not really out there in the marketplace. That's something that we have uh, brought to the marketplace. I have a lot of coaches ordering those. Um, hopefully by baseball season we'll be into the, the metal spikes, customized metal spikes for baseball teams. And so, uh, yeah, man, we're just doing everything we can to continue to, to serve the community and serve high school sports and sports in general around Alabama. I know you guys really give back to the community because Councilman Corey Penn here in Mobile, Alabama, had a combine and clinic for the Tomoville community last Saturday at LaFleur Spring Game from 9 to 11. And Future Ones was one of those sponsors that I saw on the Jumbotron. So giving back is definitely something that Future Ones does not mind to do. How can people get in touch with you or Gus or Candace? And again, Alabama-based, Mobile, Alabama. Your office is located in Sims, Alabama. How can they reach out to you? Corey, probably the best way, if, if you shoot an email to sales at futureones.com, that's the word future, the number one, and an S, futureones.com. And then you can also call 877-583-0747. And, uh, 
you know, look us up on Facebook, look us up on Twitter, uh, a lot of different avenues there. But we really, uh, we really appreciate everybody that reaches out to us, and we will try to do our best to get you what you need in a timely manner and, and uh, make you happy. We don't always make everybody happy, but that's our goal. No question, customer service at the forefront of Future Ones and the way you guys do business. Trip Massey, can't thank you enough for joining us this afternoon on the final drive and look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, Corey. Have a great weekend. Do the same. Trent Massey and Future Ones. And before the break, we were talking about the opportunity for the Miami Heat to Michael Braun wanted to change his opinion on mm. the Miami Heat and his prediction. I'm, I'm still going to stick with the Celtics making it to the NBA Finals. But I, I tell you, Miami and Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra, they'll make you a believer in the way they just find a way and refuse to die. They just keep coming back, keep coming back, no matter the deficit. Jimmy Butler, the dagger last night was that three that bounced in. It was a seven-point game. He had a three from the right wing that, yeah, that hit one. the top of the of the rim, bounced straight up, and then goes back in. And you're like, okay, now you know the Celtics are in trouble now. <laughs> when shots like that are falling, you know uh, – it's just not the Celtics' night again. They lost Game One against uh, against Philly again. That was with them beat out. So it doesn't it, series isn't over I, by any means. The Heat they could lose Game Two and the series isn't over. But I don't know. I, I just don't feel good about it. Feels like uh, feels like the Heat are a team of destiny. I don't know. I, I just don't feel good about the Celtics. I, I got a nasty feeling about it after I put out the Celtics in five prediction yesterday. I'll tell you what, they're ner- certainly not winning in five. If the Celtics do win this series, it's going to take seven games. I'll tell you that. And that being said, looking at the West now, because we got L.A. and Denver yeah. game two tonight. Yeah, I'm taking the Lakers in six, even though even though they lost game one. I, I think... Uh, I think they win the next three games in a row. I think they win tonight and then both games in L.A. Denver wins game five, and then Lakers shut it down in six in L.A. I I think that A.D. is going to score at least 18 to 20 tonight. I don't think he's going to give you another 40-point performance. He won't have to. But I think LeBron will, will, will find a way to get his 35 to 40, and you add that 18 to 20 from A.D., and they get some more help. I think that they'll be just fine in regards to finding a way to bounce back because you definitely don't want to go back to L.A. down two games to none. Now, again, home court advantage is what it is, Bronner. I mean, it's home court advantage for a reason. And I think Jokic, he, he, he can have – he can average a triple-double this entire series. He can get a triple-double all game, every game. There's nobody for the Lakers that are going to stop him from doing that. Yeah, Denver better win tonight because I really don't think L.A. loses a game at home. Maybe the rest of these playoffs. I don't know. It feels like they have one of the better home court advantages in the entire league. But, yeah, I just I – mean, we talked about it after game one. I, I just – Denver is not going to shoot like that again. Every miraculous shot went in. And I don't know. I, I just think the Lakers, uh, the Lakers get it done tonight. Russell's got to come to play. Hachimura, he's, he's a liability. He, he's got to play in Russell, Vanderbilt. Just keep Russell, Russell on the bench. He, I mean, Vanderbilt, he gave you a donut against the Nuggets. Yeah. And, and that can't happen when you play 10 minutes. You can't have a donut from the floor in, in playing 10 minutes. You have to make yourself known on the floor. But I, I, 
Russell's another one that I think he's due to show wh- why they made that that trade for him. They made the, they made the big adjustment, you know, putting Hachimura on uh, Jokic and, and the d- weird double team they were doing. So and it seemed to work in the fourth quarter. Jokic didn't completely bury him in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, Michael Malone after the game was like, "Oh well, we're gonna make adjustments from game." Let's talk about Missoula's adjustments. Uh, that's the common theme in, of uh, today's show: adjustments from game one to game two. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how these two teams come out tonight. It's gonna be all about adjustments. Maybe a new starting lineup coming out for Coach Ham. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Big LeBron game tonight. But LeBron, I think we'll have another big game, and AD will just have a OOK game. And Jokic, he's he's just going to be like, man, we're watching greatness and who should have been the league's most valuable player. Give us a call if you got thoughts. 251-694-1055. Or you can hit us up in the app. Who's going to win the series? Lakers and Nuggets, Heat and Celtics. Who's going to ultimately represent and, and play in the NBA Finals? Who's it going to be? We've already had somebody to chime in and say they felt Miami is going to play in the Finals and win it all. It's going to be hard to argue about that. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the brand changes that may be going on at Auburn. And when you think Auburn football, of course, you think their uniforms, whether it's Russell or not. But we'll talk brand changes that may be coming at Auburn and Notre Dame on the other side of this break here on the final drive. I'm Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports information in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brawner joining you this afternoon. And you can call us 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us or you can reach us in the app. And Perry, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. I just want to know why people say LeBron's the greatest of all time. He has seven finals losses. He has two wins with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. had to ride their coattail. He won a championship in the bubble. And then the NBA handed him one on a silver platter by suspending Draymond Green, and they ended up beating the Warriors because of it. How, how? All he is is a player with a lot of points. That's all he's done. Hey. He hasn't accomplished anything on his own. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Dave Schultz says. I don't care. He hasn't accomplished anything on his own. First of all, Perry, I missed you, man. How are you? I'm great. Great. Y'all fire me up when y'all want to start calling LeBron James the GOAT. First of he's all, first of all, goat. first of all. He's a I GOAT, all right, but it ain't the greatest of all time. <laughs> first of all, I, I don't think you heard from me or Corey that LeBron's the GOAT. Maybe, in fact, if he wins this title. I, I, will, I will say this, Perry. I, I, I let me, let me go on record right now, Perry. Michael Jordan is the GOAT. There you have it think, out of Corey LeBron's mouth. We've both said that. Thank you. Uh, now, LeBron Thank is you. the second best player yeah, of all I, I time. I can't argue with him being the second best. Second player of all time is Kareem. It's hard to argue, but, uh, you know, I, anyway, th- this all being said, is this like sudden spewing of LeBron hatred just because he, he just took out the Warriors or, or, or what's up? 
I haven't, I could, I, I haven't been a LeBron fan since he's been in the league. Well, I know. I've had nothing for him. Neither. I've never really been a LeBron fan either, but I, I've kind of gotten in on on twenty 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 three LeBron. I, I kind of enjoy him. He just took down the Warriors. He, he's kind of he's doing it with a with a different group of guys. I, I'm kind of enjoying watching LeBron in twenty twenty three. I'm I'm kind of rooting for him. Four, when he wins four titles with the same three players. Come talk to me. Why does it have to be the same three players? Isn't it almost more impressive <laughs> that he's doing it with a different cast of characters? Draymond Green and Clay Thompson done it on their own. They've done it on their own. Draymond Green and Clay Thompson have done in. it on their own. The core group. Uh, LeBron's I, out for himself. He's a ball hog. He has a lot of points. He's a That's ball hog. He I'll see y'all later. I got to go. All right, you go. Perry's out. A Michael ball Brown. hog? Perry is out. Current LeBron is the opposite of a bog. He's become a distributor. Perry just dropped the mic. Oh, my God. But but I I will say this. Perry, I I respect the fact that you feel that Kareem is the second best player ever. Look, it's a generational. Some people people love Bill Russell as the greatest of all time. And if you're looking at just titles alone, Bill Russell is, is the GOAT. I mean, you can't you can't argue with the number of titles as far as that is concerned. But, you know, LeBron James, he's earned every single point that he scored. He's the NBA's all time leading scorer. Can't take anything away from there. We have another caller. Patrick, go ahead. In. Patrick, go ahead, my friend. Hey, so first of all, I can't stand LeBron either. But let's be honest, <laughs> he won that championship with the Cavs by himself. So yeah. it's hard to argue the talent there. Uh, second of all, I would love to see Miami play the Lakers in the finals so Spolster can smack that behind for LeBron wanting to get fired. <laughs> Third of all, I saw Triple G in the weight room, and he's been talking smack, man. He's pumping the weight. He said he's come to open up a can on that. And I saw him eating the cheeseburger so he could get that extra slam over the net on the pickleball court. <laughs> well, I, I would say this. You know, they they absolutely embarrassed us in basketball, but we came back and redeemed ourselves in cornhole. And as far as the pickleball match, looking forward to to, to the playing the pickleball. Still, I'm watching a YouTube on pickleball. I I don't think it's a game of strength. I don't know. I don't know if getting in the the weight room is gonna is gonna help. I also don't think it's like a lateral movement game, as as you saw in the basketball, like. If it was, no, we we might be in some trouble. In, in but. some trouble, but but I I will say this: www.votenappies.com. You can you have an opportunity. WNSP's been nominated for seven Nappy Awards. So within that voting process, we would love for you to click on the media tab and vote on the final drive for the best sports show. Of course, here, the final drive on WNSP, Corey Bounty, Michael Brauner is the tab that you want to go ahead and click on. And That'd be a heck of a story if uh, LeBron really had to play no, Spolster. I, I, but but I will say this, that LeBron is one of those that a lot of people do hate, but you just you can't hate his greatness when you look at what he's able to to have accomplished at 38 years old to continue to do it better than most 18 19 and 20 year olds that that is unbelievable when you look at what he's been able to achieve throughout his career and i think he's going to have a phenomenal performance tonight he'll score 35 or more because he just has that dog in him too to where he doesn't want to lose and as far as the Celtics are concerned Losing that game at home 
was sometimes what they need, regardless of their coaching. We'll talk about this more at at some point in the next hour, but talking about LeBron, like how he quote-unquote lived up to the hype. You see like what Chris Broussard said about Wembenyama. If if he's, quote, if he's KD or or Hakeem Olajuwon, it'd be a disappointment. We'll we'll talk about that. Truly one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard said in media. Well, Perry doesn't like LeBron, but I will say this. From the time LeBron was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in high school, He's lived up to the hype, regardless of whether you want to call it selfish or not. He has truly been the chosen one in regards to what he's been able to accomplish across the board. And even though he's been to 10 finals and only come away with with his handful of championships, he's still a daggum good basketball player and one that has changed the game for sure. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty and Michael Broner joining you this afternoon. Four o'clock, scheduled to join us, Lindsey Crosby. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your phone calls. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us, or you can definitely get in touch with us on the app and there's been plenty going on yesterday in baseball a very interesting situation as I bring our friend Lindsey Crosby in with this from Locked On Farm and from the Auburn Daily yesterday there was Zach Gallen hit a bird with his curveball as he was warming up in the outfield and I remember Randy Johnson absolutely sending the bird feathers flying when he was throwing his fastball there. Lindsey, when you hit a bird, does that mean that you have the accuracy that you need to have, or is it just bad business for the big bird? I think it's just something where, you know, Peter's going to go out there and start a campaign against the Diamondbacks and against Zach Gallons. The second time the Diamondbacks have killed the bird. You know how hard it is to do that, Corey? The odds odds are crazy, man. Being struck by lightning probably better. Yeah, there was, uh, like, Mythbusters went and tested this, right? They got a, uh, like, a chicken cannon. They got, like like, a baseball machine and tried to replicate this and couldn't do it. And so for the fact that it happened twice, but both times has been pitchers that pitch for the Arizona Diamondbacks, it's completely wild. (laughs) It really 
it Although, really if you if you want to invest in Zach Gowan for Hall of Fame, go ahead and do that because the last dude that did this made it to the Hall of Fame. So all I'm saying is maybe Zach Gowan's going to win Cy Young this year. Yeah, I, I watched the feathers fly yesterday also. Pretty interesting. But I, I have you always on. You're always in touch with what's going on with the Auburn Tigers and with the SEC baseball schedule regular season-wise coming to a conclusion the Auburn Tigers taking on the Missouri Tigers at Plainman's Park to close out the regular season and hopefully we'll have a little momentum going into the SEC tournament in Hoover. Yeah, it's absolutely a huge weekend for both Auburn and Alabama and Tennessee as far as SEC tournament next week. But all three of those teams have an outside shot at hosting a regional still. So Auburn sitting at 14 and 13. Of those three teams, they're probably in one of the better positions. They're facing one of the worst teams in the SEC in Missouri, although a Missouri team that just beat Georgia last weekend. And so Auburn having an RPI of around 20, uh, sitting at 14 and 13. If they can sweep Missouri in the last 10 years, no 17 win SEC team with an RPI in the top 20 has ever been held out of hosting a regional. So if Auburn sweeps they're probably hosting a regional in Plainsman Park, which was completely unbelievable five weeks ago. And then Tennessee has a good chance as well, and Alabama has a good chance of getting themselves in position for a regional. And at best, you can pick one of those teams. So if all three teams handle business, it's going to be a really interesting and high-stakes SEC tournament next week. Well, as the SEC began the season, I think the preseason polls had seven out of ten SEC teams ranked one through ten, all seven being in the SEC somewhere in that top ten. Now it's kind of played itself out to where these schools have beat up one another and are beating <laughs> each other pretty bad. Arkansas ranked two, Florida four, LSU still at five. But as far as having seven teams in there, it's just been rock and sock baseball from opponent to opponent, series to series. And when you pull up the RPI, you can see that. You can see that everybody in the SEC, like nobody has an amazing record as far as in-conference play with the exception of, of I mean, even Arkansas has eight losses, but everybody's in that top 20, top 25 in the entire country in RPI because it's just such a grind every single weekend in the SEC. And even teams like LSU can go out and get beat by a team like a Mississippi State because the SEC is so deep top to bottom. But to me, the big story here is Auburn was picked to finish last in the West and probably not even make the SEC tournament. And now they're in the conversation for hosting a regional with one weekend left in the regular season. Although, They've not won a game in Hoover since 2018. And you don't have to win games in the SEC tournament to go to make it to Omaha. Auburn's gone twice since they last won in Hoover. But it's just something where uh, this, this weekend is going to be probably the best regular season weekend of the year because the stakes are so clear and there's so much to play for, for, for Auburn, for Alabama, and for Tennessee. Lindsay, are you surprised? And we're talking to Lindsey Crosby, locked on Auburn, does a ton of baseball work for them, both in the MLB and in the NCAA. But are you surprised that Alabama's, I don't know if turnaround is the right word, but they've started playing significantly better since uh, Brad Bohannon's departure, we'll say? It was always going to be either they were going to, to just 
have a match lit and do fantastic or they were going to completely collapse. And this team is too talented to collapse. It was something where they had that little bit of adversity. And in a way, it can kind of bring you closer together. And it's something where, especially with school getting out, you can kind of just focus on baseball. You're almost like minor league baseball players. You can just retreat into the game. Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distractions. We're just going to come in every day. We're going to play for each other. We're going to focus on each other, on ourselves, and representing Alabama baseball. And then to go out and knock off number five Vanderbilt, to go to College Station and take out Texas A&M winning two out of three, including uh, a run rule game there for game two, and to be in a position, you have an uh, RPI of 11, you're sitting at 13 wins, and you get to host Old Miss, the worst team in the West. If you sweep them, you have 16 wins and a top 10 RPI, you're probably going to have a pretty good shot at getting one of those last host spots. It's a very impressive job for Alabama, for the players, uh, for the program. I'm very happy to, that they were able to make this happen. A quarter of the way through Major League's baseball season also, the Braves sitting atop the National League East, and they've been playing pretty good baseball. And I, I, How much better can the Atlanta Braves get, or will there be someone in that division that will be closing the gap? So when you look at what the Braves have done, obviously they're missing two of their top pitchers in Kyle Wright and in Max Freed, and they haven't been clicking on all cylinders on offense. You've had somebody like in the season that's been struggling or that's been slumping. Austin Riley has a slugging percentage almost 100 points lower than he had last year. Matt Olson has double-digit home runs but leads the entire league in strikeouts. You're in a scenario where the offense has been really good. I think you're fifth in baseball and runs scored. But if you can get everybody hitting at the same time, the ceiling is the limit for this Atlanta Braves team, and it's all powered by Ronald Acuna. He's on pace for 41 home runs, 64 stolen bases would be nobody's done a 40-60 season before. I think we've only had one 40-50 season. And so with Ronald Acuna at the top of the lineup, anything's possible. But if Atlanta can find those last two starters to just give you five innings and keep you in the ball game every fourth and fifth day until Kyle Wright and Max Freed get back, then this is probably the best team in baseball. And even without those guys, they still have the third best record in, in MLB. Staying on the Braves and in the NL East, a huge win for the Mets last night, and they take two out of three from, I guess you could argue, the best team in baseball in the Rays. Uh, does a walk-off home – are you a believer in, in like, a huge win like that where they hit a walk uh, a home run in the ninth to tie it up from Alvarez and then a walk-off home run in the 10th from Pete Alonso to to uh, win the game is is that the kind of thing that can spark a turnaround from what really is a talented Mets team you would think that it would be they had the youngsters uh, Brett Beatty had a big part in that game Mark Vientos just called up had a big part of that game obviously Francisco Alvarez uh, and then Pete Alonso hits the walk-off, you would think that that would kind of have them, okay, we have the momentum, let's seize it. But then both Vientos and Alvarez are on the bench today. And so it, it almost feels like they're over-managing a bit. Uh, there's a lot of diligence to platoons. There's a lot of, of, of deference to historical splits on righties versus lefties and things like that. And I think you just need to let the kids play. Let Brett Beatty play third base every day. Let Mark Vientos be in there in DH. 
uh, you know, let Francisco Alvarez catch majority of the games and just let these guys play loose because when you're constantly looking over your shoulder as a professional athlete, uh, it makes it difficult for you to play to your potential. And I think that's the big thing with this Mets team. Ton of talent, ton of potential, but they, for some reason, they're playing tight and they haven't really they're better than 21 and 23. The talent's better than that. The pitching, for the most part, if they can get healthy, is better than that. But Buckshow Walters may be just overmanaging a little bit. Well, you never overmanage your coverage of everything Auburn and Atlanta Braves. How can people do and continue to follow all of your wonderful coverage of both of those? Hey, Corey, thank you. I am on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's the main hub for everything that I do. The college baseball, AuburnDaily.com, covering the Auburn Tigers. The minor league baseball, Locked on MLB Prospects, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. And the professional baseball, MLB level, at BravesToday.com. Can't thank you enough. Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Corey. Well, Bronner, I, I, you know, we, we've had a lot of people chiming in in regards to whether it'll be Lakers versus Celtics, an old school reunion between these two franchises. Mm. And tonight, the Lakers, they, they can't afford to lay down. Now, if, if you're Perry, you're hoping the Lakers lose just because they have LeBron James. And Perry, let that be known that whatever team LeBron James is on, He's not a LeBron James fan. But tonight, I think LeBron's going to put on one of those performances that are going to make people say, yeah. A vintage LeBron performance? I, I, like I think a it's going to be vintage LeBron. I can see it. A must-win game and a game where he's probably pissed off they didn't win game one? Yeah. Well, also, you know, vintage Bryson DeChambeau uh, in the PGA uh, Championship. Four under gross. so far. And I know... Scotty Scheffler is playing some pretty good golf so far, yep. too. But course is playing absolutely brutal. Someone weird is going to win, or at least at a pretty not great score. Uh, they're, these guys are struggling out here. Well, it's been one of those days. But, I mean, we're in round one. And making the cut, you think that it'll be someone that's not a, a big-time name? Rom struggled out there today. A lot of guys did. We'll find out. PGA Championship. Going on as we speak, round one, Bryson DeChambeau four under, Scotty Scheffler three under, and Rory just continues to struggle at the PGA Championship. Yeah. Yeah, the Rory, final, Rory, no good. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. We tease the brand changes that are going on at Auburn. Will it happen? Will we see a brand change? Will we see a brand change at Notre Dame? We'll talk about that next on the other side of the final drive. Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner with you this afternoon. You can give us a call, 251-694-1055, or you can get in touch with us in the app. And when you start looking at historic footage of some of these college athletes in their uniforms, when you think Auburn Tigers, you, you think Russell Athletics. Do you? 
you do. Russell, that big R, you go back and you look at a lot of the jerseys, even with Alabama, used to have Russell athletic apparel. And Russell now, used to be the cream of the crop. It, Russell used to it be did. cool. It, 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 it was where it was at as far as from an apparel company. I know Future Ones takes care of us here at WNSP, but from an Auburn standpoint, Auburn signed a nine-year contract extension worth $78 million with Under Armour in 2015. And that's right around the same time after Cam Newton takes Auburn to the national championship, wins the national championship, he signs with Under Armour also. Could Auburn be wearing a new athletic apparel or have a new provider? That's the question at hand. Notre Dame is the same way as far as what they're trying to do with their relationship with Under Armour. They had a $90 million deal with Under Armour that's scheduled to end next season. And currently, South Carolina, Maryland, UAB, and, of course, Notre Dame do wear the Under Armour. And, of course, you think Alabama now, and they're exclusively with Nike. South Alabama with Adidas. I got a take for you. Go ahead. And it's actually not just because Auburn wears Under Armour, but Under Armour's lame. And I, you don't like Under Armour? No, I mean, I, I don't have an issue. Like, you know, if me or you wore some sort of Under Armour, I have a pair of Under Armour sneakers. Like, that that's whatever. But I'm saying for, like, a college football uniform or college basketball uniform, I think Under Armour's a bit lame. Like, you should be wearing Nike, man. So figure it out. Just figure it out. So, Michael Braun, you, you feel, and, and the, the person in the app is exactly right, the Russell Factory right outside of Auburn. But Russell... Athletics used to distribute to everyone in the country, but but you you say that as far as from a uniform standpoint, you've never liked any Under Armour uniform. It's not even like the uniforms themselves. Like you know, Auburn has clean uniforms. Notre Dame, I mean, those are historical uniforms. You could hand those to any any company you could possibly name they're not going to mess them up they're just the the same uniforms they've been wearing for 80 years uh so it's not the uniforms themselves that under armor produces the same thing with auburn like they've been wearing the same thing for many many years in terms of like a color scheme and like the basic what you're looking at but yeah so it's it's not the uniforms themselves that under armor produces it's the logo on the uniforms but but figure it out wear nike you still have innovative ways and i think that Nike, of course, is the brand that a lot of people flock to, but Adidas has done a good job of of the innovation of the apparel that you see a lot wearing. And the the movie that I'm going to have an opportunity to finally watch this weekend is mm. Air uh, on Hulu. I look for Amazon Prime. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Is it? I'll have to watch it this weekend, too. Look, we'll, we'll discuss on look, Monday. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll discuss it. But when you have an opportunity to change apparel deals, and I know, again, Alabama used to wear the Russell jerseys, and then they go over and switch over to Nike and have, have been Nike for over 30 years now. It, it's just that brand that becomes iconic to where you see the entire athletic department in Under Armour, in Nike, in Adidas. That's that's what creates the brand that becomes pretty interesting. And also interesting, if you would 
polled the players. Players probably prefer Nike. I think kids ask. don't want to wear Under Armour. Kids want to wear Nike. You would probably see most most players say that they want an opportunity to put on three stripes. They're they're you know they're gaining popularity. I would say Adidas is ahead of Under Armour too. I, I would think Adidas so. Adidas a little bit lame, too. but not as lame as Under Armour. Well, Nike well, blows them both out of the water. I will also say that if you had the players mic'd up on the sidelines as they were practicing and or in the games the way that the XFL has experimented with you you figured eventually it was going to trickle down to college football and officially it has with the Pac-12 having in-game coach interviews you see it in softball and baseball while the game's going on you're talking to the manager in the dugout i think that that is pretty cool and a pretty interesting approach from a softball and baseball but you don't really see it in football until the xfl came out and the all access that you get when the coaches are are, are mic'd up and live the players mic'd up and live and you have pre-game cameras for the pre-game speech halftime speech post-game speech and you're able to post all that in real time of course you probably have somebody with the sensor button <laughs> but to be able, normally you get a chance to see the best of or behind the footage, behind the scenes, behind peek behind the curtains, so to speak, a special that they would run 30 or minutes to an hour on the SEC Network or Fox or wherever, CBS Sports during that March Madness time. But to actually be live with a player and coach, that's going to be a great dynamic. Yeah, I'm in on this. This is going to be pretty cool. Might make non-USC Utah Pac-12 football watchable big 12 is going to jump in there too and, and I, I bet you the sec is going to go ahead and sooner or later mm. as they have specials again on the sec network after the fact coaches like I, are i'd up. like to see it after the fact but like i i don't need to see it in game like what the xfl does i don't need to be watching an alabama game and, and see you know hearing whatever whoever the quarterback is whatever he's calling in the huddle. I, I wouldn't really be a fan of that. For so, so you don't you don't want us you don't want the players to be mic'd up. You don't want to hear what the players are saying during the game. Maybe after the game like maybe like I said, like if there's like a special after the game, like you ever hear like sound effects on NFL network. Like right. I, if there's like a whole montage after the game, that'd be cool. But I don't need it like when I'm watching the game live and the game is happening in real time, I don't need to hear when I'm watching an Alabama game, what the XFL is doing. I understand that's what the Pac-12 and Big 12 are doing, so we'll see how fans of the teams feel of the, about oh, that. Oh, they're going to love it. The in-game yeah. entertainment, because it's going to give them something. It's what, a bit gimmicky. But what it does do, though, is for those viewers that are at home watching it on their big screen versus actually being at the game, you'll be able to hear sights and sounds in your own living room better than the fans who paid for tickets. Like, would you want to... He, would you want what the XFL does like during an Alabama game? I wouldn't. Sure. Uh, any 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 college football game. Mic them mic up. Mic them up. Mic the mic the college coach up. And you know you'll have to put the pause and the mute button on a little bit and censor them because I guarantee there'll be some FCC rules violated if you don't. <laughs> but I, I think that that is an interesting. Now you know catching a pissed off coach running into the locker room in halftime you get some of your best quotes then but imagine them being mic'd up when someone blows coverage and that 
conversation between the head coach and the defensive back who won't quit holding or won't the defensive lineman who won't quit jumping off sides and to be able to hear or see that in real time I think would be pretty fun but they're going to give you all access in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 this coming season with in-game coach interviews locker room cameras for pre-game halftime and post-game speeches is it a violation i think it's just the way and like you said another gimmick to bring all access and the viewer into the total entertainment process of sports brett mcmurphy making his debut here on the final drive next you don't want to miss Brett McMurphy here on the final drive. My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNFC 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon and making his debut here on the final drive. We would like to welcome Mr. Brett McMurphy from America's College Football Insider, the Action Network. Brett, how are you doing this afternoon? Hey, good to talk to you guys. Great. Well, Brett, I tell you, there's a lot going on in the offseason of college football, and a lot of it has to do with right here in our own backyard, first and foremost, the Mobile Alabama Lending Tree Bowl gets a new sponsor. And, of course, I know that you've mentioned the fact that the postseason play and you like to make predictions for postseason play and you have next year's Cotton Bowl, Alabama playing Texas Tech. That's probably not good, is it? Well, for for Alabama fans, it sure is. That's for <laughs> sure, Brett. It, it it makes a lot of people nervous down here in the state of Alabama. I mean, I just, I mean, look. Here's the thing. I may be wrong. How about that? Um, but I just, you know, Georgia's the team to beat. And I think Florida State's going to do really well in the ACC. Um, I think Michigan will emerge from the Big Ten. And if Georgia wins the SEC, not impossible. It's happened before. Um, I just think that it's going to be tougher for the SEC to get a second team in there. And I'm kind of I'm kind of split between LSU and Alabama, to be very honest. Um, the change of coordinator for Alabama, you know, got the transfer coming in at quarterback. Uh, doesn't mean they won't win it. And the, the last thing you want to do is doubt the Nick Saban team or give them incentive, which I'm sure they have plenty of after last year. But it's just I just think Georgia's, you know, again, the team the, the team to beat, even though they lost, uh, I think it was 307 players to the NFL draft off the defense last year, whatever that official number was. Um, but more than that, their schedule, uh, you know, it's soft. It's, it's so easy. I don't think they'll be challenged um, all season, and um, you know I've still got. I think Alabama is still a a ten and two, eleven and one team, and you know if, if ten and two is not going to get in the playoff, eleven and one they got a shot. Um, and so you know, right now that's what I'm I'm going with. Believe me, in the past uh, nine years of the playoff, I probably picked Alabama to win it. You know, at least six of those years. So. It's a rare year I don't have the tide uh, 
not only win it at all, but in the playoffs. Talking to Brett McMurphy, America's college football insider for Action Network. Brett, we've talked a lot about Georgia's schedule. You just mentioned it a little bit. Are you of the belief at all, and I know Georgia fans aren't, but are you, are you of the belief at all that it could end up hurting them in the end that they might not see a quality opponent until the SEC championship? No, I don't really think so. Um, I mean, you look at last year, you know, um, I mean, they swept walk against Missouri. They beat them, you know, by four or five points, whatever that was. And no one, you know, at the end of the day, they won the national championship. Now, everything broke for them. You know, Ohio State misses a, misses a field goal in the semifinals. Uh, they're not even there. Um, I, I mean, I think the SEC strong enough where you're going to get tested. I think I just the way things are now. I think it's actually if I had the choice, I'd rather have games that I should win handedly, and you can get your starters out, and then you're healthy, as opposed to battling every week and fighting and scratching to a 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 record, and then you get to the playoffs and you've got a number of injuries. You know how much gas is left in the tank. Uh, that kind of thing. It's you know, it's obviously different than basketball. So I, you know, I don't know. I know that's the narrative, and you know, people got to talk about things and say, oh, Georgia won't be tested, so that's going to hurt them in the playoffs. I don't buy it. You know, probably they. I'm sure Kirby can test them as much as he wants in practice. Uh, the weeks that they're they're playing uh, Vanderbilt or whoever. So I really don't see that being an issue. Well, I, I'll tell you what's not an issue is winning football games for King Kirby. And where, where does Kirby Smart ascend on the pecking order of college football's all-time greats if he's able to win a third consecutive national championship? I mean, that's – wow. Um, I think Saban's not one. There's no question. I don't care what happens this year. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say something blasphemous here. Even if Alabama went six and six, David is still the, the best coach, active coach, coach of all time, fill in the blank. That's not going to change. Certainly, the more Kirby keeps winning, he keeps climbing up that chart. Um, you know, some people would say he's probably the second best active coach right now. And I would have no issues with that. Back to back titles. I don't, again, Get back to me when he's got five or six rings and we can talk about if he's on the level of uh, Nick Saban. But I think certainly he's in the – he's in the at worst top three um, and at best he's second behind uh, Nick Saban. We're speaking with Brett McMurphy, America's college football insider with Action Network. And, Brett, the conference realignment has been something that – will continue to change the landscape of college football. Of course, Oklahoma and Texas jumping in the SEC next year. But the Big 12 and Pac-10 or Pac-12, they're just continuing to change also. And the ACC looks at its seven teams. How quickly will it be before the ACC continues to be no more? Or will it just stay with a seven or eight members and Pac-10, Pac-12 just kind of go cross-continental as far as not geographically being correct? 
I think uh, in the next couple months, we should have some resolution on if Colorado or, or, or Arizona will leave the Pac-12 and join the Big 12. Um, I think in the next two to three months, we should also have uh, some re a resolution on the Pac-12's media rights deal, which they're still trying to get finalized after losing USC and UCLA. I think as far as the SEC, I think they're happy at 16. Um, if, if you gave Greg Sankey some truth serum, heck, you probably wouldn't even have to give him truth serum. I think the SEC would like to stay at 16 teams until uh, the end of time. That is, as long as the Big Ten stays at 16. If the Big Ten decides to go beyond 16, and, you know, you mentioned the ACC, if any of those schools can figure out how to get out of their TV deal that runs another 14 years, then certainly the Florida State, Miami, Clemson, North Carolinas of the world would be very attractive um, to the Big Ten and also to, to an extent to the SEC. Does the SEC want Florida State and Miami in the SEC? Absolutely not. They've got the University of Florida. You guys know that when the SEC expands, they don't add a school that's in a that has a member in a state, with the exception being Texas. Texas is a top three brand. So you can bring in Texas. But other than that, when they went and got Missouri, Arkansas, they brought in schools that they were not in those states previously. So would the SEC want Florida State Miami? Absolutely not. However, if the Big Ten is making a pitch to get Florida State Miami, even though the SEC may not want Florida State Miami, it's like, well, we don't really want them, but we don't want the Big Ten to get them either. So then the SEC may have to pursue those guys. So as far as the big two conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, as long as the Big Ten stays at 16, I think the SEC stays at 16. But if the Big Ten grows bigger than 16, then that may cause the SEC to make some moves as well. I think North Carolina, of all those teams in the ACC, would actually be the most attractive to both the SEC and Big Ten. So it, it would it's kind of fascinating to kind of see that tug of war between those two leagues in the Tar Heels. We brought up North Carolina. Where does that leave Clemson in all of this? You know, Clemson's, like, again, would the SEC want to have Clemson? I don't think so. They've got South Carolina. But then if, if the Big Ten wants to get Clemson, then you have to decide, okay, are you okay with the Big Ten having Clemson, or are you going to go ahead and double up the state of South Carolina? I mean, the state of South Carolina is not very big. And, again, when you talk about expansion and realignment, a lot of fans like to point out, this school's better than that school because they've won more games or they won head-to-head. -head. That really doesn't matter. It matters as far as your brand, as far as, you know, how the TV networks value your product. I mean, there's a Florida State's opening this season, Sunday night, prime time against LSU. That has nothing to do with Florida State's win-loss record. It has everything to do with Florida State being a, a, a nice brand. However, with all that being said, Clemson is in the picture they're in because they have won so much. They have gotten to the playoff multiple times. They won a national championship. So if you look at Clemson without the results on the field, they're not that attractive of, of, a, of a program because they're in, a, they're in a small market. They're in a smaller state. I don't know, ranked 30th, 31st in the country in population. 
However, because Dabo has built such a great program there, that increases their value. So I'm not sure exactly where Clemson would fall in that um, fall Nate equation. I do know that the concerns, if I'm a conference and I'm looking to add Clemson, my concern would be Dabo Sweeney is not going to coach there forever. So what happens when he leaves? Can they sustain that success? And kind of a comparison is, is Butler basketball when Brad Stevens was there and they went to the they went to the final four, they were a huge national draw. And then Brad Stevens leaves Butler and then now you really don't hear much about Butler basketball. It's the same with Gonzaga. Mark Few's done an incredible job there. They've gone to the, the final four. What happens when he leaves? There's a fear that those teams suddenly don't perform as well, that it's maybe the coach the reason that these schools have kind of overachieved. And I think that would be the same thing a concern with Clemson, you know, for any conference. And obviously the only two conferences would be Big Ten and SEC, looking at Clemson as a potential member somewhere down the road. An interesting nugget you just brought up there, and I, I was going to ask you about Texas, but I have to I have to ask you, since you just said you don't think Dabo is going to coach there forever, I mean, down here we've kind of nixed the idea that Alabama, from an Alabama fan perspective, we don't want Dabo to succeed Saban. So if Dabo's not going to be at Clemson, I mean, where's he going to go? The NFL? No, I'm just saying, I mean, you know, look, these guys make such, I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. They make such, you know, huge amounts of money. It's not like the old days where you needed to coach 50 years because you needed the money. I mean, I'm sure he could retire right now and he'd have enough money to take care of him the rest of his life. I'm not saying he's leaving next week, next month, in a year or two. I'm just saying if you're bringing on Clemson as a member of your conference, that's a long-term deal. That's a 20, 30, 40-year deal in most instances, especially if you're in the Big Ten or SEC. There's nowhere else to go. So you're in that you're in that league. OU and Texas, a very smart decision going to the SEC. They took they guaranteed basically the financial security of their athletic department for the next hundred years. So Dabo, he may coach 10 more years, but then when Dabo's gone, what happens to Clemson? Does Clemson fall off the side of a cliff? You don't know that. You know, I'm just saying Clemson's high profile is in large part because of their incredible success with Dabo Sweeney. How long can they sustain that? That's, you know, that's something that they look at. It's not that Clemson, that Dabo's running out in a year or two. It's, again, this is a long-term play, and you're not just looking a year or two down the road. Entertainment in college football has continued to change, Brett. And when you look at Pac-12 and the Big 12 saying, we're going to have in-game coach interviews, locker room cameras, pre-game, halftime, post-game, players mic'd up. Is it because of technology, or is it really what the fans want as far as, or are they doing this for ratings in regards to giving all access exclusivity? Let me see if I can answer these correctly. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> you nailed it. I mean, it's um, it's revenue-driven. It's um, be creative. It's kind of do something different, some bells and whistles that maybe other schools don't do. Um, you know, at some point, every, everybody's going to be doing it, you know? Once everyone sees how it works, I think then every conference will do it. You've seen, you know, Fox and or ESPN kind of do the coach interviews, you know, before the game or they're walking on the field and 
and doing that sort of thing. And then you see more and more of that. You see in the, you know, the, the, the professional sports, the NBA, you have the, the coach interviews, you know, um, at the end of the first quarter, stuff like that. So I think that's just bleeding over to uh, the college football to keep the fans more engaged, um, give them something new, give them a reason not to change the channel, to be very honest. Looking ahead to this season, Brett, I, I brought up Texas a little bit. Obviously, you lose Bijan Robinson. You bring back Quinn Ewers, one of the best receiver trios in the country. What, what do you make of Texas? And if they do underachieve this season, which, frankly, I don't think they will. I think they have a great shot to come into Bryant-Denny and win. I mean, is Steve Sarkeesian, his seat's got to get a little bit warm, right? I don't think so. I mean, look, if they roll out a 6-6 six and six season, yeah, yeah then I'll – you know, all bets are off the board. But um, if they win nine, ten games, I think I think he's fine. Uh, you know, I know it's a great narrative to say, oh, this is the year, and if they don't win it, then he's out. But I don't buy that. You know, I think most athletic directors um, don't want to get rid of their coaches. And, you know, certainly a, a 500 season would not sit well with Longhorn fans. Um, they are the favorite to win the – Big 12, I'm actually picking Texas Tech to win it because I just think the Big 12, I, I, I honestly believe this. I think you can just put every team in a hat and draw one out. And you've got a good a chance to pick the winner of that league, especially last year. TCU picked to finish seventh. They get to the, um, they get to the Big 12 title game and then obviously make the, uh, the college football playoff and lose in the national title game. So um, that'll be a big game against Alabama. But, you know, the good news for Texas is, they can lose that game 100 to nothing, and they can still get to the playoff by winning, winning the Big 12 and then having some other teams kind of uh, knock each other off. Brent, really have enjoyed your time with us here on the final drive. Last quick question for you. Who is going to be the sleeper? My buddy Tim Brando says the fly in the ointment. Who's it going to be this year? Well, I kind of said I think Texas Tech will win the Big 12. I don't think they'll get in the college football playoff. I'm taking two teams that usually don't get to the playoff, although they did, you know, seven, eight years ago, and that's Florida State and Washington. Uh, Florida State, we'll know if they're real or not. They open up with LSU. And then Washington returns everybody. They are loaded on offense. Michael Penix. If, you, if people haven't seen him, he is one of the nation's most electric quarterbacks. The bad news for Washington is I think the, I think the Pac-12, forget about all their off-the-field issues with media rights and maybe teams leaving and all that stuff. I think this year the Pac-12 may have more top-quality quarterbacks than any other league in the country. I mean, they've got Penix, they've got Bo Nix, uh, some guy named Caleb Williams who won the Heisman last year. Um you know, they are loaded, and um, the preseason uh, AP Top 25 comes out in August. I have a vote in that, and I think I'll probably have six Pac-12 teams in my Top 25. So if Washington can survive that gauntlet, I think the Huskies could return to the playoff, I think for the first time since 2014 when some team named Alabama was able to do it. Down pretty good. That's right. Brett McMurphy, America's College Football Insider with Action Network. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thank you. Brett McMurphy joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll be right back. This is CJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you listen to the sports station, WNSP 105.5. 
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner getting ready to get you set up for the Tide and Tiger Report coming to you this afternoon. Of course, tonight, Lakers at Denver in game two. Expect epic LeBron. And you, you mentioned all the, the coaches or the lack of coaching by the Boston Celtics. Kelvin Sampson. The head coach at Houston, he interviews for the Milwaukee Bucks job. So that's something to keep an eye on. Would he have an opportunity to, to coach in the NBA and leave Oklahoma? And Caleb Love, he leaves North Carolina, portals into Michigan, and finds out at Michigan that he doesn't have enough credits to attend Michigan. So he's back in the portal again, and this is one of – the players that will probably be in the NBA lottery again next season. So Caleb Love no longer at Michigan, no longer going back to North Carolina. We'll see where he winds up landing, Brawner. But the Brett McMurphy all-access was interesting that it's just all about the money. And look Of course it is. Look forward to talking to Drew DeArmond about the Nick Saban sighting. There's been a Nick Saban sighting outside of Tuscaloosa. We'll talk to Drew about where Nick Saban was located. And I'll give you a hint. It's not within these 50 states. We'll see if he's outside of the country recruiting. Jason Caldwell will bring us up to date on the Auburn Tigers as well. As your Titan Tiger Report is coming up next here on WNSP 105.5. Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner behind the glass running the show for us today. And when you think about the Alabama Crimson Tide and the great coverage that is provided, look no further than Drew DeArmond. My man in Huntsville, Alabama, does a phenomenal job each and every day covering the Alabama Crimson Tide. Drew, welcome in to the Tide and Tiger Report. Uh, it's great to be with you, Corey and Michael. Great to be on with you again. You know, uh, how you guys doing? Uh, hopefully it's not raining in Mobile, but it seems to be raining everywhere else in Alabama right now. It's that time of year, Drew, where, like, it's the looming thread of rain around here every single day. Like, it will rain at some yeah. point. I think it's sunny right now, but it probably rained an hour ago. Yeah, it definitely rained here in the last hour, so... Alabama baseball right now is an extended weather delay. They tried to move the game up. It was supposed to be a 6 o'clock game. They didn't beat the rain. They probably should have tried to move it up to lunchtime, I guess. But it's certainly in the 
Corey and I both do a lot of work with the AHSAA, and it's been an adventure, to say the least, at Chocolaca Park and Jacksonville State this week for softball and baseball. But I commend all those folks for getting uh, as many games in as they have so far. It's definitely difficult when you have baseball and softball because it's such a weather-dependent sport. But certainly uh, hoping to get this last weekend of SEC baseball in before Hoover. And then looking forward to Hoover, it's probably the best college baseball of the week, of the year if you talk about a week because of how good the league is. And then, of course, we got SEC softball with 12 teams competing to get to Oklahoma City starting this weekend as well. Well, Drew, the Alabama Crimson Tide baseball program after the scandal hit, the, the gambling scandal with Coach Bohannon, you, you just didn't know how the Crimson Tide were going to bounce back and, and where they were going to stand. But this team, because no players have been implicated or involved in this scandal, what they've done is they've rallied around and they're trying to win some games so they can host a regional. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, Corey. It's uh, you know they haven't done that since 2006, uh, which was that they that had a great ball club under Jim Wells that year, and uh, you know we're we're dominant. That they beat the Troy Trojans, uh, you know, in the uh, finals of that regional, uh, you know, and uh, under the uh, the great Bobby Pierce, and then uh, they went on to Supers, lost uh, a really stacked North Carolina team that went on to reach the finals of the College World Series and nearly win a national title, but. Uh, they haven't hosted since they opened the new Joe in 2016, and they don't have their head coach, but you pointed it out. They have responded. They've been 5-2 and two, uh, since that dismissal, and they beat a good Troy team their last midweek game. They only lost one midweek game all year, uh, and that was the Casey Dunn's UAB Blazers. And uh, they've, uh, they've been hot lately. They did a nice job. Probably the biggest win of this coaching staff, series win anyway, of their six years, when they beat Vanderbilt, who was ranked in the top five at the time at home, two games to one. Uh, they've responded since, you know, with the series win, you know, over Texas A&M as well, where they outscored them 23-1 to one after losing game one. They've got this series against the defending national champion, Ole Miss Rebels, who their season's already basically over. This is the final three games, but they can certainly play spoiler. But if you look at their RPI, which I think is 10 in one poll, uh, and you look at, you know, if they could win two out of three in this series or sweep and then win some games in Hoover, maybe get to the weekend, the knockout round of the weekend, this Alabama team would probably have an RPI in the single digits, which, you know, and have 40 wins, uh, which I think that would be a combination for them to potentially host, which is pretty stunning. Uh, but I give a lot of credit to Jason Jackson, the interim head coach, who's handled the pitchers for the last six years. Hunter Morris from my community, the hitting coach, his second season, Matt Rita. That whole coaching staff has kind of picked things up, and people forget. I mean, those guys are coaching for their living right now, too. Whether they, you know, uh, that they're going to – if Jason Jackson gets the team to Omaha, of course he's going to be heavily in the mix to get the job. But these guys, regardless, want to stay in the sport. They want to impress a lot of people. And these players, as a veteran team, a lot of these guys are trying to get looked at. Uh, and maybe potentially play professional baseball. And as you guys know, if you reach postseason, there's scouts everywhere. I know the draft, I think it's only 20 rounds now, but certainly opportunities abound out there. And it's kind of cool right now. The, hot, the two hottest teams arguably in the SEC next to Arkansas are Alabama and Auburn. Drew, do you think that this turnaround, if you want to call it that, was inevitable, or do you think it took this kind of – I don't even know what to call it. I guess get kicking the back by firing Coach Bohannon and you know put 
take the circumstances out of it, just a, a jolt of energy to the program to uh, you know have them win some games against some quality teams here. Well, no, my, my thing going in, they were a top 20 ball club. If you saw the rankings, uh, I think in year six, this is supposed to be Coach Bowes, uh, probably either his best or his second best ball club. He had a really good ball club uh, when uh, Connor Prelip was a freshman. Uh, you know, a couple, and Tyler Gentry was his three hole hitter uh, back in his third year. But that was the COVID year when they were, I think, 16 and one going into the first SEC series against Missouri. So we never saw how that team ended. They had Brett Auerbach leading off as well. You know, all those guys playing professional baseball now. But uh, they had a really good ball club then. But this ball club probably had the highest expectations. Uh, coming in, so I don't think it's a surprise that they're they're where they are. Uh, you know, now I, I do think since his dismissal, there has been a, a sense of maybe a, a relief of weight off shoulders. I think they're playing free. I think they've got good leadership from Drew Williamson and some of these vets like Jim Jarvis who have been around. And again, Jason Jackson uh, has really responded well, being the interim head coach. So they've even been able to you know work around some pitching injuries, as you guys know. You know, Ben Hess hasn't thrown since March. Uh, he had turned into their Friday night guy. Antoine John hasn't thrown all year. He's had issues. And then Grayson Hitt, who is one of their top two guys, the lefty from Germantown, Tennessee, he uh, tore his UCL, you know, about halfway through the season. But, you know, it's a credit to the coaching staff for keeping these guys uh, focused. And I think they've got improved pitching depth. Uh, and so it, it's kind of funny. Everybody this year has been affected by injuries in some form. Auburn's had a bunch on the mound. And so as, and Arkansas just had lost their second baseman, Peyton Stovall. I think he's the fourth everyday player they've lost this year. So a lot of times it's just a battle of attrition, and you got to have depth in the SEC. And certainly I think Alabama has responded. Well, I'll tell you who we want to see respond is – probably one of the greatest Alabama softball players ever in Montana Fouts and battling back from the injury that she sustained in the last SEC game that she played. Montana Fouts being that player, Drew, can Alabama make a deep push into the Women's College World Series if she's not healthy? You know, I would say probably not getting to not going to get to Oklahoma City without Montana. She's meant so much to this team this year, Corey, and really in her career. I mean, she's been the face of the program. She's leading the nation in strikeouts. She's got over 300. She's got 200 innings pitched. Um, you know, with their draw, and the, I know there were some surprised they got the number five national seed. I was mildly surprised myself. I thought I knew they had a good RPI, good schedule strength. I still thought, you know, they'd probably be 9, 10, 11, 12. I, I, it's, I, and if they would host, I just wasn't sure they'd be able to host both rounds. Uh, you know, so unfortunate that she got hurt in the SEC tournament. She was throwing well. She hyperextended her knee. I heard earlier in the week that she was likely going to be out, but we'll see. Uh, certainly uh, the prognosis was interesting uh, and that uh, Coach Murphy released that later in this week saying she was day-to-day, so – I guess we'll see. I, I do think they have a favorable draw this weekend. Uh, you know, Jayla Torrance, uh, you know, and Alex Salter are going to have to step up. Lauren Essman, uh, they have had bright moments this year. There just has not been consistency. And so we'll see what happens there. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and I think they, uh, they've got to beat LIU first. When you're in a regional, as you know, Corey, you've got to win that first game, stay in the winner's bracket. They would get the winner if they, if they were able to take game one. 
uh, of Middle Tennessee and a really good Central Arkansas team who knocked UNA out. Uh, so we'll see. But I think they've got a shot this weekend. But if they want to get through the Super Regional round uh, and get to uh, you know uh, back to Oklahoma City, I think they're going to need Montana Fouts. And maybe it's a hidden you know blessing. If you can't pitch this weekend and if the bats uh, you know wake up, and they certainly swung the bats well in their last game in that 7-6 loss to number four national seed Tennessee and Fayetteville, if they can get the bats rattled and these other two or three pitchers can step up, and they can get through this weekend without her potentially. Maybe she's healthy for the Supers, and then you can get to Oklahoma City, which would be huge for Coach Murphy. But I think they need her uh, eventually at some point in time if they're going to navigate the journey uh, and get to the ultimate destination, which is the Women's College World Series. Well, the ultimate destination for college football's GOAT is ultimately not here in the United States. You know, they say, where's Waldo? Where? Well, where's Nick Saban and Nick Saban having an opportunity to step away and enjoy some time right before he gets back on the ground? A lot of people don't even think Nick Saban takes vacations the way he's such a workaholic. But Nick Saban found out of the country here as recently as yesterday. Yeah, it was kind of neat. Some folks in Italy getting getting us to to, uh, photobomb and with Nick Saban, man, that's pretty interesting uh, that he ended up in Italy. I mean, I don't blame him. A lot of times he uh, he takes his vacations on the lake at Lake Burton. This time he and Miss Terry decide to leave the country. Everyone deserves uh, some time off. Uh, I know Mike Griffith, who I know well, nice guy. Uh, he, he took a little dig at Nick Saban and uh, said, you know, well, Kirby Smart just got Dylan Raiola, and he's getting ready to host a big-time weekend for Georgia while Nick Saban's uh, in, in Italy. But, uh, you know, what Mike's failing to mention is that uh, Georgia – is one in seven in their last eight against Alabama. They may have won the last one, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, some injuries played a part in that. I think we saw Alabama take Georgia apart uh, when they had John Mechie and Jamison Williams the last time when Alabama had a relatively healthy football team. They didn't play a year ago. Uh, Alabama had the number one recruiting class, by the way, last year, not Georgia on paper. Now, we'll see how that plays out. But I think Nick Saban's just fine. I think Kirby Smart's just fine. Kirby uh, certainly has, uh, you know, a great program rolling right now. But I don't think Alabama's going anywhere, uh, certainly. And I think Nick Saban likes where his program is right now. I certainly was pleased with the spring for the most part. The the biggest question, as everybody knows, is how is the quarterback situation going to play itself out? That'll be the biggest key. But I think the bones of the team around the quarterback are really good. I think Kevin Steele's going to help this defense improve. And uh, certainly there will be a lot of people, uh, and, we'll, and we'll be in Nashville before we know it, uh, on Radio Row and SEC Media Days coming up. But uh, but I will say I do think that there will be some picking LSU to win the West, and that's understandable. They beat Alabama in Baton Rouge last year. But I, I kind of like Alabama laying in the weeds. I think they like where they are. I think they like uh, where their football team's going, and I think they like the coaching staff additions. And I still think the Crimson Tide ultimately is going to be the Western Division champion. And if you get a chance to look Georgia in the eye and get to Atlanta, then you know you're going to be in the college football playoff conversation. And certainly that's what you want. You want a shot at the title, as they used to say, in lethal weapon. And hopefully Alabama will get another shot at Georgia. Uh, doubted Alabama is a dangerous Alabama. Drew, I don't think we've had you on since the bringing in of Tyler Buckner. So I w- obviously I agree with you. They're 
the roster is pretty solid around Buckner, uh, around whoever the quarterback is, rather. With uh, There are a lot of questions at the quarterback position. We'll see what happens with the receiver group. But uh, what are your thoughts on the all three guys, really, and who ultimately, right now, I'm sure we'll have you on again so, like sometime soon, and the answer might change. But right now, who do you think starts against Texas? You know, I've been asked that question many times. Uh, I would still bet on Ty Stinson ultimately uh, when uh, they play Middle Tennessee, though I wouldn't be surprised if two quarterbacks play in that first game. And, you know, Corey can remember this uh, situation back, you know, over a decade ago. It's hard to believe it's already been that long. But uh, when Phillip Sims came into spring practice one year, I thought he was the favorite over A.J. McCarron. Uh, they battled it out. Uh, and ultimately, you know, uh, both of those guys played in the first game against Kent State. And then they had to go to Happy Valley in week two. And A.J. McCarron was given the keys to the car. Uh, you guys know uh, famous Mobilian, uh, great player. And uh, he, he navigated that win for Alabama on the road. And that team went on won a national championship. And A.J. had one of the great college careers ever. So I think it's going to play itself out. They will, they, will have, they will decide on one guy by the time they play the Longhorns. Uh, but ultimately, I still think it's going to be Todd Buckner or or a Ty Simpson. We'll see what happens with Milrow. He's such a great athlete, but he's never been able to be consistent as a passer. Certainly, uh, I think Ty missed an opportunity. I thought he might separate in the spring, and he did not. Uh, but I still think he has a lot of potential. I think he's getting a, you know past that thumb injury and, and starting to get healthy. And then I think with Buckner, he has underrated athletic ability. He has some experience. He has a great relationship and understands Tommy Reese and what he wants. And so, ultimately, it's going to be an interesting battle. I don't think you can rep three guys. So, one will fall back. We'll see who does. Honestly, you know, and you're right, I haven't been on with you guys. Once Ty Buckner was brought in, Tyler Buckner, after uh, the A-Day game, I thought, one, it signaled that they weren't satisfied with where both quarterbacks were, especially uh, Jalen Milrow, who did not separate from Ty. But Ty didn't separate either, so he missed an opportunity. But Certainly, as Ty matures, I still think he has the skill set they're looking for. Buckner is going to give them quality competition in the fall, and so we'll see how all these guys respond. I honestly thought we might see Milrow move on when Ty Buckner was brought in, when, when they brought in the, uh, the uh, redshirt sophomore Tyler Buckner, but he did not. I still think there'll be some attrition at some point, but you know, so far they're staying in there to compete, and it's going to be really interesting in the fall to see who separates first. And uh, I think Tyler Buckner has some tools. He definitely needs to improve as a passer. He had a nice Gator Bowl performance after having some injuries at Notre Dame. But an injury should basically have been his problem and, you know, missing some time due to COVID when he was in San Diego, California. So it's really going to be intriguing. You know, it's probably the most intriguing quarterback battle of the Saban era, really, when you think about it, because certainly Phillip Sims and A.J. McCarron, and then, of course, uh, I think Blake Sims and Jake Coker was very intriguing. That one didn't play out like everyone thought. Jake Coker didn't win the job for a full year. So that's going to be the most uh, talked about aspect of fall camp. But if you ask me to go on the record right now, I still think Ty Simpson ultimately will be QB1 for Alabama. Well, I know we had Kevin Steele down here in Mobile, Alabama, had an opportunity to talk with him Tuesday at the Team Focus Banquet. And the new 
Tide's defensive coordinator now with Nick Saban for the third time can't heap enough praises on who who he considers as the GOAT. But the excitement, he said, look, Alabama fans, you don't have anything to worry about. Look, it's been two years since you won your last national championship, but you have to remember this about Coach Saban. This is what Coach Steele was saying at the banquet, that when Alabama won its first series of national championships, it did so with a quarterback who was not an NFL quarterback for long. And that's been the case in a couple of situations when Alabama has won their national championships. Even with Nick Saban at LSU, the quarterbacks who win the national championship, not necessarily quarterbacks for a very long time at the next level. So Coach Steele has a lot of confidence with what's on campus and is very excited to be back at the capstone. Yeah, and he should be. I mean, uh, he's very experienced. He's been through the fire everywhere. He knows what Saban wants. And I think that familiarity was what ultimately led to his hiring and, of course, the situation being unresolved with Jeremy Pruitt. But certainly, uh, I think that there's no question uh, that Kevin Steele uh, can uh, do a good job with this defense. I like the fact he's an overseer. And they brought in Robert Bala to coach the inside backers. So, you know, he will be able to try to get more out of maybe the defensive line room than has happened lately. Uh, also, the outside backers, I thought, took a little bit of a step back last year. But maybe his overseeing those positions will help. Uh, I, and people you know, shouldn't forget, he did a great job at Auburn uh, in his time there. Uh, you know, many wanted him to be the head coach, but his defenses were very solid. They defended that 2019 LSU offense, which is one of the all-timers. There's no question about that. Better than Alabama did. They were the one defense that slowed them down. So Coach Steele demands a lot out of his players. They're very fundamentally sound. Uh, they're very physical. Uh, and, uh, again, he's someone that yeah, will definitely be able to uh, have some back and forth, some give and take with Nick Saban that's going to be big, I think. And I just thought when you looked at the spring as a whole and then the A-Day game, defensively they looked more assignment sound they tackled uh, I thought you know they looked you know, they didn't give up the big plays that have been coming in at an alarming rate the last couple of years two or three years defensively uh, so I think it's going to be an improvement for Alabama I don't think there's any question about that and, it, and there needs to be because I think Alabama you know at times last year defensively uh, played well but at times you know they'd have some first halves where there was the communication was lacking there was uh, you know, there was missed tackles, there was missed assignments, uh, too many penalties. So I think the addition of Kevin Steele is a good one, and I think sometimes going back to the future can be a good thing. Can't thank you enough, Drew, for your entire wealth of knowledge about everything Alabama, whether it be baseball, softball, basketball, football, doesn't matter. If it has the Alabama Crimson Tide associated with it, I know Drew will have us covered. Drew, how can everyone follow all your elite coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide? Yeah, I appreciate it, Corey and Michael, once again, being on with you. They can follow me at my personal account, Drew D977 ESPN. Also, our station account at 977ESPN. Also, we have the new recruiting show. It's called uh, On the Blitz Sports. It's our streaming channel. We do that from 9 to 10 a.m. They can follow us there as well. All of our content is on our 977 uh, SoundCloud page also. And uh, they can, uh, you know, we, we love the conversation on Twitter. We have, we have a lot of back and forth. And we love being on with you guys when we get a chance in, uh, in, in WNSP and Mobile. We appreciate it. We always enjoy 
talking some Crimson Tide, talking ball. But uh, you guys have a great rest of your show, and thank you once again for the opportunity. Thanks, Drew, Drew, thank you. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Yes, sir. Drew DeArmond catching up with us here on the Tide and Tiger Report. And on the other side of this break, we'll break down the Tigers. Jason Caldwell will keep us posted on how that transfer portal is going, how Auburn baseball and softball are looking also. And Bruce Pearl, he's got a new basketball roster as well. The Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, when you start talking about the Auburn Tigers and the coverage that is second to none, you call upon Jason Caldwell, who does a phenomenal job with his Auburn Tigers coverage. Jason, good evening and welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner. How are y'all? Man, absolutely blessed by the best. And, of course, like everyone, you know, you wait 30 or 45 minutes, the weather will change on you. If it's not raining now, wait about 45 minutes to an hour, and it'll be raining a little later, brother. Yeah, well, uh, this is our 45 minutes. Auburn is supposed to start baseball at 6 o'clock tonight against Missouri. Uh, we're in a weather delay. Um, just rained here on campus. we still got lightning in the air, I guess. So, hopefully uh, – we get started here in a little while to, to, to kick off this series here on Thursday night. Well, well, not only worried about the series that you're talking about tonight, the, the overall state of the Auburn program is second to none, Jason, in regards to the facilities and the upgrades that are being seen there at Auburn. Yeah, you know, they're, they're getting ready. They've already approved and getting ready to, uh, to, to kind of, finalize the plans for Plainsome Park, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, that's one of the things that they've kind of been waiting for and focused on for now for the last couple of years is try to try to get that in, in much better shape. And so that is kind of one of the things that's, that's getting ready to come for Auburn. And then the John Cohen's a guy that does not sit still. Uh, he, we saw that in Mississippi State. He's a guy that, that really uh, focused on improving facilities in Starville, and he did a great job of that. And so um, and he wants to do the same thing at Auburn, and so he's he's getting a you know getting a chance to kind of start start that process. And, and Jordan Hare Stadium is obviously going to be one of those places, and so uh, we'll see what that looks like moving forward under John Cohen, and, and how that impacts the facilities for Auburn uh, in the coming years. Well, Jason, speaking about your athletic director and the facilities earlier today, I was talking about the brand changes that could possibly be at Auburn. Of course, sometimes you close your eyes and you think about the big R, the Russell brand that was on the, the collar or the sleeve of Auburn football uniforms for several years. Of course, Russell, the factory being located right outside of Auburn. But maybe Under Armour comes off of the new equipment, maybe Nike, you know, Adidas, just an opportunity to possibly go with a new brand. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely one of the things that you look at now is uh, 
you know, what's that going to look like? Um, what's it going to look like um, in the coming years? Um, obviously, you have an opportunity to, to redo things. Um, you want to re-up with Under Armour. If you want to, you know, take the highest bidder, uh, all those things will be in play for Auburn, I think, beginning in September. And so when you start looking at Auburn now, it's, it's what, you know, what's the best deal for Auburn? How's that going to impact things? And so uh, lots of questions um, that are still yet to be answered for Auburn in that regard. Well, Auburn answered a lot of questions at the wide receiver and quarterback position in the transfer portal. How good is Jair Shorter transferring in from North Texas? Yeah, I think he's a big play threat. Um, something they haven't had. He's a, he's a guy that has the ability to stretch the defense. He, he's a big kid, too. I mean, he can go up and get the football in traffic, do some of those things. And so <laughs> I think he's a guy that gives you a lot of options. And um, when you start talking about, you know, what you want to get out of this offense, uh, one of the things that E. Freeze wants is, hey, you want to be able to build your run the football, but you got to be explosive in big plays. And, and that's something that, uh, you know, that I think they'll have a chance to do with Jair Shorter moving forward. Peyton Thorne is having an opportunity to come in and probably if he's under center or in the shotgun and his accuracy is where Hugh Freeze would like it to be, he could be not only a 3,000-yard passer at Auburn, something that they haven't had since 2019. Yeah, I, I think the competition level has increased dramatically, and I think that's the thing you're looking for if you're Auburn is – the competition level at quarterback, at wide receiver, at linebacker with with uh, you know Larry Nixon and some of these other plots. That's that's what you want. Increase competition. Try to give yourself as many options as possible. Build depth. All those things. Um, you know when you start talking about that, I think that's what Peyton Thorne gives you with Robbie Ashford and Holden Garner is. It gives you a lot of competition and a lot of ability to to go out and, and I think should have a really interesting August for Peyton Thorne with his experience already on campus doing some things with Auburn. Um, I think that's a, a step in the right direction for him as far as learning the offense and doing the things he needs to do. Jason, how much do you think this season's performance on the field affects, for example, what Hugh Freeze is trying to do recruiting-wise, like take uh, Perry Thompson, who, who Auburn is trying to flip from Alabama and see how Hugh Freeze is utilizing these receivers and how the offense is, and now you bring in Peyton Thorne, who ideally should make the offense a heck of a lot better. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's the be-all, end-all um, in terms of negative, but I do think it could be a really positive if, they, if you say, hey, look, we're able to do this and we still don't have a guy like you. And so I think you can sell it going, hey, we're able to do some things. Even if you're not, you're going, look, we're not able to do this because we don't have you. And so I think it could be an impact no matter how you slice it. But no question, if you go out and, and, and do it and, and are able to make plays and do some of those things, then I think it, it, it definitely helps you, you know, in terms of what you're able to show kids and, and maybe, uh, you know, how they respond to, to the message. Because that's the thing. For, for two years, the message was just watch. Well, nothing happened. And so there wasn't anything to watch. And so kids, if you gotta, you got to give them something to, to hold on to a little bit. Um, and, I, and I think that's the key for Auburn right now. Can you give them enough to hold on to that they go, hey, I believe in that and I, and I can help it moving forward? Well, in speaking of recruiting with Hugh Freeze and the transfer portal, it, it's kind of interesting the, the parallel situations between Bruce Pearl and Hugh Freeze with the transfer portal and with the new coaching staff coming over. Of course, Corey Williams 
joins Bruce Pearl staff. Wes Flanagan leaves. Alan Flanagan, his son, leaves also. But the verbal commit, LeBaron Phylon, when you have relationships, you see him decommit. I know there's still hope that the Auburn Tigers can re-recruit LeBaron Phylon back to the Plains. Yeah, you know, that's always the goal. It's going, hey, look, there was a reason why, you know, you liked Auburn. Uh, obviously, West Flanagan was part of that, but it wasn't the only thing. And so now, can you build those relationships with a new coach and um, new assistant coach and obviously the things they want to do in the program? Um, can you show them on the court again what, hey, you're the missing piece to what we want to do? Those are things that are it's just like kind of like football. And it's a little bit different because Bruce Pearl has been there and done it, and they, yeah. they put guys in the NBA and they've done those things. Uh, but this is more a relationship. Can you build a relationship with, with a, a new assistant coach to build on what you've already done with Pylon? I think that's going to be the key. How much fun is it when you're covering Auburn, when you look over there and you have the excitement within the football program being renewed with the hiring of Hugh Freeze, you see the baseball program get here on a roll, the softball program gets the at-large bid, you already know that the jungle is always rocking with Bruce Pearl, the gymnastics program brings a lot of excitement, just the overall athletics period we talked about the facilities earlier but the success of all these programs the tremendous visibility it brings to the auburn tiger family yeah there's been some lean years over the the out of the past 24 or so that i've been doing this but yeah i i I talked to a couple of coaches and they said look um they've never felt everybody kind of pulling in the same direction quite as much as they are now john cohen deserves a lot of credit for that but when you have the right coaches in place to go along with that administrative side of things, then normally you, you, you feel like you're in pretty good shape to start doing some big things. And they've done that in some other sports. I think football now, if you can get it started football, then it usually, boy, it spreads throughout an entire athletic department. And I think that's the thing that Auburn you look for now is just can you get that football rolling again. Well, speaking from an athletic director standpoint, I know Jay Jacobs officially went ahead and retired being Auburn's athletic director from 2004 to his resignation in 2017. I know that he is always going to have a special place in the Auburn Tiger family. Yeah, you know, Jay's a guy that, that walked on here, played at Auburn. Uh, there's a lot of connections for Jay Jacobs in terms of Auburn athletic director. So, yeah, he's a guy that will always, you know, I think Auburn will always be part of him. I don't think there's any question about that. And so, uh, yeah, you, you might move on, but, but there's places that are always home, and, and this is a place that will always be home for him. Well, it definitely sounds like you're, you're – I'm glad you're in the press box, Jason, because it, it sounds like it I'm is – I'm actually in the I'm actually in the car, and so you can actually hear it a little bit more. But <laughs> it's it's uh, pretty steady, pretty steady rain right now, and like I said, uh, we knew we weren't starting at six. Uh, we might be lucky if we start at seven, uh, depending on how uh, how these storms if they keep popping up. Right now, they're kind of sitting on top of us, and uh, got sunshine on one side and rain on the other side. So we'll see what happens. See who wins out. Hey, the sun will come out for sure, and I was talking about Bruce Pearl moments ago, but when you bring in a five-star guard like Aiden Holloway, I know that that has to go ahead and, and 
increase, again, the visibility that, hey, Bruce Pearl may have lost an assistant coach, but he still is part of that Auburn brand. And Holloway is one of those guards that's going to bring a lot of excitement. It was something that Auburn was really lacking last year, a true point guard who was going to handle the basketballs and score the basketball also. Yeah, shooting from the perimeter, I think, is the key. And uh, you, you, you you team up him with Trey Donaldson, and it gives you some options in a backcourt. You added the Denver Jones um, you know, from the transfer portal, a guy that can shoot the basketball, and they're still looking to add you know potentially a, another guy or two from the portal to go along with them. And so, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're always looking to, to – like I said, it's, it's just like football. You're looking to make your roster better, mm-hmm. looking for more competition, and that's kind of the goal for, for Bruce Pearl and his staff as well right now. Well, I think that they will continue to accomplish that. And as we're sitting here waiting for SEC media days to approach and you actually have Peyton Thorne, I think, is on campus now in the film room getting some work done on campus. What do you think will be the biggest storyline here the next couple of months leading up to the Auburn football season? Yeah, I think it's just going to be how do you how do you put everything back together and, and put the pieces together to, to get this thing rolling um, and to get everything going uh, and get it started. That's going to be the key, I think. That's always the storyline. That's what you look forward to. And uh, so when when that's the case, I think, you know, can you get it, can you get it going? Can you get uh, can you get everybody pulling in the same direction? I think that's what they felt like they've done. Uh, but you got a lot of new faces, a lot of new pieces that have to keep added to that. So that'll be the goal now for them as they get ready to uh, – to try to roll into the fall. Well, Jason, I always love seeing your tweets and your coverage of everything Auburn. How can people continue to enjoy what I watch and what I listen to from an Auburn Tiger standpoint? Yeah, you can check us out at, at AuburnUndercover.com, uh, AUTigers.com as well. You can get to there. Also follow me on Twitter at IATJason. Jason, thank you so much for your time, man. Stay dry and enjoy the baseball game tonight, my brother. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Jason Caldwell joining us this afternoon on the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner. We'll take your phone calls or you can hit us in the app. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us. We'll be right back here on the Tide and Tiger Report on WNSP 105.5. Darius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. We want to thank both of our Tide and Tiger guests this evening. Drew DeArmond was talking a lot of Alabama Crimson Tide, and we just got off the line with Jason Caldwell, who filled us in everything dealing with the Tigers. And earlier today, we had that college football coaching 
list that was put out by CBS Sports and Tom Fornelli and Alabama's Nick Saban was number one. Georgia, of course, was number two. Georgia and Kirby Smart was number two. And Brett McMurphy, he said Nick Saban's going to remain the GOAT no matter if Kirby Smart wins his third consecutive national championship. He still feels that Nick Saban is going to continue to be the greatest of all time. And when Kirby gets to the number of seven, then you can check with Brett McMurphy as to who he will have on his list at number one. But Hugh Freeze, and going into 2024, he definitely hopes to make this top 25 list because that means that he has the Auburn Tigers program going in the right direction. I mean, you could honestly, mm, you could maybe make the argument that he should be on it. Maybe. I mean, Would you put Hugh Freeze over Jimbo Fisher? <laughs> I would rather have Hugh Freeze than Jimbo Fisher as the head coach. But, I mean, Hugh Freeze, it's not like he was chopped liver at Liberty. That's what I mean. Like, he did – I mean, they beat Arkansas this year. I, they His Liberty teams were good. Obviously, we know what he did at Ole Miss. Like, we know Hugh Freeze can coach. So, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say Hugh Freeze is – I don't know if you can say he should be ranked higher than Jimbo Fisher, but I don't think it's crazy to say I would rather have Hugh Freeze in 2023 than Jimbo Fisher. We'll see how this year goes, but – I'd be shocked if he's not on the list next year. But what about Brett McMurphy chiming in and being real high on the Florida State Seminoles? To yeah, me, that's that's kind of are. a shocker. A lot of people are. I mean, they're going to be good. Two seasons in a row for the Seminoles, like you said, we'll find out real quick with LSU and Florida State having yeah. an opportunity to square off. And that's, that's why you just get used to the excitement of college football. But – it didn't hurt LSU from a standpoint of they wind up, what, 13, 14 weeks later winning the SEC West. Yeah, well. After goes, getting out the gate slow. Goes, goes back to the conversation of uh, should non-conference losses count towards your SEC record because I don't think they – I think they should. Uh, I think the fact that LSU lost their opening game should have affected their status, but it didn't, so – Whatever. Uh, no point in rehashing that one now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't affect their ability to win the SEC West and wouldn't affect their ability to win the SEC West if they lost to Florida State again. Uh, it, it affects their ability to make the college football playoff. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, it's going to be an instant classic, I think, this time around. I guess, again, because it came down to an extra point last year. But that's the way you want to kick off the college oh, football yeah. Season. I mean, you don't want LSU to lose it the way that they did, especially being in the Southeastern Conference. But where that can take Florida State from a confidence standpoint to begin the season, I, I don't think you can argue with that. Along with when you look at flipping LSU over. was playing horrible that whole game, too. And they, they kind of went down the field and had that la – it was like a 95-yard drive. And then they go and just poetically miss the extra point. Like They really had no business winning that game to begin with. And then Brian Kelly, of course, you know, he goes for two later in the season, of course we know. And I wonder I, – I think we asked Glenn Gilbo this a couple weeks ago. Do you think one affected the other in terms of going for two against Alabama after missing the extra point against Florida State? And he said no, but how, how could that not be in the back of your mind? Like, I'm not – kicking an extra point here well, is is lsu a top 
five team going into the preseason? No, not top five. Pro- but probably th- top ten. Do you think Florida State is a top ten team? Yeah, right on that fringe top ten. Both of them, you could make the argument for fringe top ten. Yeah, right well, in that. Certainly, both of them firmly entrenched in the top fifteen. Well, I think Alabama is going to be right at five, maybe at six in the preseason polls, regardless of who's taking snaps at quarterback and regardless of what happens in between now and the time they kick off with Middle Tennessee. And we'll see exactly what those results will be in September. The Tide and Tiger Report wrapping up here on WNSP 105.5, making room for the prep spotlight that comes up immediately following us here momentarily. Don't tune that dial. Want to thank everyone for listening in to the final drive today as we had Trent Massey, Lindsey Crosby, Brett McMurphy, Drew DeArmond, and Jason Caldwell all joining us today on the final drive in the Tide and Tiger Report.